Well, good morning. I'll take it. Um, <clears throat> for our visitors, I uh, want you to know that our pastor, Drew Stevens, is away on a bit of a sabbatical. He'll be back first Sunday in January. So this morning is my small contribution to making us all the more eager for his return. Uh, <clears throat> uh, so we're in 2 Corinthians 9. Uh, we're talking about the gospel grace of giving, thinking back to one of Tom's messages. You'll know which one. I thought about calling it Fifty Shades of Green, but uh, decided not to do that, except that I just did and got the chuckle, so we're, we're good. Um, <clears throat> of course, you know, coming to know the Lord it involves every area of our lives. It changes everything about us, you know, the way we do everything. One of those areas is in the areas of our finances and, and of giving. And that's really what's on my heart for you today. You might be a longtime believer. Uh, might be a good, today would be a good opportunity to examine your own heart and practice in this area. You might be a new believer and you've never really thought, what does this mean to follow the Lord, to understand that, that Jesus is Lord of my wallet or purse or pocketbook? Or you may be here uh, not yet believing, exploring the faith, wondering what it means to follow Jesus. And you may think, well, here I am, you know, my first Sunday here, I'm looking at this church and, and all they want is my money. Let me assure you, uh, today is not a fun drive. We're not here to manipulate you or to make you feel coerced or forced into giving anything. Uh, my hope today is that you'll simply be challenged by what the Word of God says um, and be obedient to Him. So uh, believe it or not, we're not going to pass the bags again after this. You know, <laughs> See if anything changed, count the offering before and after, see if you understood. It's just... Really just want us to sit before the Word of God and, and to learn from the Lord about how He would have this area of our lives reflect the gospel. So, again, I'm grateful to Eunice for reading this. Let's get a little context about Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9. So as you read the book of Acts, you see that the, the larger story in that is the gospel moving from being based in Jerusalem, primarily a Jewish group of followers, expanding to the nations, expanding to a group of followers all in, the, in that part of the world, largely Gentile. So that's, that's the larger story in the book of Acts. Uh, and we saw, as you, I'm sure you'll remember from last week, um, as the church encountered those different cultures, they faced various critical issues. Okay? So you know, one of those is simply the, the unity in the body of Christ. Paul's frequently preached, you know, talking about Abraham and how God promised that he would be the father of many nations. And as he preached the gospel to the nations, that was one of his, his themes is that this is in fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. So we see Paul addressing Jew and Gentile relations on a practical level in, in, in several of the letters that he wrote. We see it in Ephesians, Romans, and, and others. And one of his main points in all of this is not simply, hey, get along, we know it's different and weird. He's not just saying just get along. He is saying you are one in Christ. This is God's purpose from the beginning to, to have the nations around the throne. And, and you've got to realize not just that, that you need to not fight, but that you are actually one in Christ. You are part of one body. You are together. Well, the suffering of the church in Jerusalem provided a real opportunity on practical terms for this to be demonstrated, this, this unity. So there had already been a collection sent from the church in Antioch to the church in Jerusalem. That's in Acts 11. But now Paul is he's still aware of ongoing sufferings in the Jewish background believers in the church in Jerusalem. So he's challenging now all of his churches to join together, take a collection, and send it to the Jerusalem church as a way of saying, we are standing with you. We are suffering with you as a way of, of 
practically demonstrating their unity, their, their sharing in both in joys and in sorrows. So that is what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is about. Evidently, the church in Corinth had started this collection, but for whatever reason, they either hadn't finished or the project had faltered or something. So he writes to challenge them to pick this up, to finish it, to finish what they had begun and renew their commitment to helping in this way. So that's 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Our text that, that Eunice read is, is the last part of that challenge. And this is where we, we get some real wisdom for how we should approach the matter of giving. And uh, this is not a financial seminar. Uh, I would be the last one you would want <laughs> talking about that. But uh, I have sat before this text, wrestled with this text all week, and, and pray God will open our hearts to, to what he has for us. So the first thing... Uh, I see in this text is in verse 6, is simply this. We can be generous knowing that the Father is generous toward us. We can think of God's grace in the past, how he has provided for our needs. You can think of times when God has provided, has has answered your prayers, has met your needs. Most of all through Jesus. I love the hymns that we sang this morning, the songs we sang you know, to, about the cross, the resurrection, about all that Jesus suffered for us. You know, to stand forgiven at the cross, it is... It is amazing, and we dare not get over that, and we don't get past that. We can look back, and that's, that's a, an inspiration to give. It, it, something about that just releases in us the, the understanding that, that there is more than, than this life. The, the funds I have, the money I have, there's, there's, there is an eternity, and I don't want to be in bondage to these things. And just to know that I am loved, that I have an identity as a child of God, I have a purpose, and that just looking back frees us. It makes us generous. I, I love the story of Naaman the Syrian, right? He enters that story. I know you just woke up this morning thinking about Naaman the Syrian. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5, I think. But, you know, he enters the story. He's just this, this pompous Syrian soldier. He's a leper. He gets delivered, and he's just transformed into one of the ways he's transformed. He's just generous. He just, he just gives. If he finds out a need, he just gives, gives twice as much as expected. That's just part of the gospel. We look back. But that's really not what this text is about. This, is, this text is forward-looking. He, Paul compares us in verse 6. He says, you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously, that literally is sows with blessing, will also reap with blessing or generously. So he compares us to a farmer who plants seed. Now, no farmer tries to plant the minimum seed, right? He sows, he plants as much as he can in order to get a large harvest. And he knows that harvest is going to provide for his own needs, and that harvest will also have the seeds for the next planting. And you'll see that all through this passage. There's, there's two things that happen when we give. We give, and the Lord also provides for our needs. And he also equips us and frees us for the next act of generosity. The, the, the seeds are, are, in a sense, in the harvest. So we are like planters. We, God entrusts them to us. Giving that is a, is a form of planting. The harvest Our needs are met, and we are equipped to meet more needs. Now, just knowing that, in other words, you give a little, you get a little back, you give a lot, you get a lot back, immediately we think, well, if I give a lot, I get a lot. And we we can become selfish in that, right? I mean, that's the foundation of the prosperity gospel, right? The challenge is, if you give to my ministry... You know, you'll be blessed. I'm not going to bless you. <laughs> you know, you just trust. You'll be blessed. You'll, you'll, you'll become wealthy, and, and you can spend all that on yourself. That's not what he's talking about. 
He is not talking about a self-centered life, but he's talking about a, a radical, God-centered life. But I understand the, the situation. Sometimes the Lord does bless us financially in return. Sometimes he blesses us in ways that are not financial. I've seen both a few years ago, well, more than a few now. I was a seminary student, uh, poor, uh, and our church was taking up a, an annual special offering. Pastor asked all of us to pray about what to give in the special offering. And I prayed, and an amount came to mind. And, you know, at first I said, no, <laughs> no, that's, that's, I don't, I barely have that. I mean, if I, I give that, I'm, I don't know, you know, where I'll buy food and that kind of thing. But the more I prayed, the more certain I felt I should give that amount. And so, being certain, the day arrived, I, we wrote the, the check, the payment order, put it in the envelope, and gave it. Well, at some point in the course of the morning, you know, going through Bible study, worship, and all of that, a friend handed me an envelope and said, this is from our small group. I said, okay, thanks. I stuck it in my, my pocket and forgot about it. And I got home, remembered that, opened it, and it was cash. It was ten times what I had given that morning. And I, was, of course, was extremely encouraged. It was God's way of saying, you know, I, I will provide. I will, I will take care of you. And so it was a huge a blessing for me. It was a huge encouragement. God just repaid my faith in that act of obedience in that moment. Now, the next year, okay, still student, same church, pastor again challenged us, annual special offering, pray about what God wants you to give. And again, as I prayed, again, God puts an amount on my mind, my heart. I was doing better financially, and so the amount that came to mind was larger. Okay, you know, and again, I pray about it. And I thought, give more, get more. <laughs> this, this could be good. So, I tried not to think that, you know. I, I, really, I knew, I knew it doesn't always work though. I, t- I really tried not to. But you know, I, I did the same thing. I, I prayed, more certain, got the amount, prepared it, took it, gave it. Of course, made sure I saw that same friend that I'd seen the year before, you know, but... But it was nothing, you know, there was no, no surprise gift that day. Now, which, which time did God bless? He blessed both times. I was obedient both times. I had joy both times. And God used that gift in ways that he saw fit in the ministries of that church, and, and that is all good. And, and I was and remain content with that. So just know sometimes he does bless financially in return and in proportion to what you give, sometimes he blesses in other ways, but he always repays. I remember one of our many discussions with Karen and I trying to reach a you know, level of giving. How much do we give? And, and I remember her commenting almost as an aside, you know, you can't outgive God. And you cannot give more than he gives you in one way or the other. Jesus even talks about some things being repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You cannot be more generous than God is. It may not always be a financial return, but you can know that just as you plant, you will have a harvest. It will, it will provide for your needs, and it will get you ready for the next planting. It will be the next act of generosity. So we sow little, we reap little, sow generously, we reap generously. So the big question is, how much should we give? How much is much, right? How much is little? How much is generous? Well, I can't tell you that. You have to look at, at what God has entrusted to you and, and, and all of that. The Old Testament law commanded 
that Israel give a tenth of their increase. That's called a tithe, in case that's a new word to you. It helps support the priests through the work of the temple. In Malachi 3, we see this command with a promise. The Lord says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. So you see that. God commands a gift, but he also promises even more than, than what is given. So should we tithe? Should we, are we expecting, you know, when you agree to our membership covenant, is there a 10%, you know, small print <laughs> clause? There, there's not, okay? We are not under that covenant. That's, that is God's word to us. It is not God's law for us. And Jesus is, of course, our example, right? Uh, just in chapter 8 of this letter, Paul says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So we have the example of Jesus who literally gave his all, who leveraged his entire life for our benefit. And that is what he asks of us. We leverage all that we are and have for the kingdom. So I'm not going to give you a law. I'm not going to give you a rule. But I will suggest, okay, if you need a place to start, if giving is not a part of your life, as, as Ian said earlier, it's a spiritual discipline. It's a regular thing. If you need a place to start, this is a good place to start. Now, I've been working, earning money since I was 12 or 13 years old. You know, mowing yards and doing odd jobs, things like that. My parents taught me, you give 10% of everything you earn to the Lord. So I've done it since I was young. I gave from their pockets, you know, <laughs> a lot. But then I started having my own money and, and giving part of that. And, and I will tell you, when I came to know the Lord, I started enjoying it. <laughs> you know? I wasn't so happy about it until I came to know Christ. And then uh, just freed me from that. It's, it's good. When Karen and I got married, you know, we're talking, you know, how do we give? How do we manage finances? Two lives together like that. And, and we just set that as the minimum. That, that's, that's what we do. Now, I haven't always done it perfectly. That's always been our aim. Somebody told me years ago, you can, the 90% will go farther within the will of God than, than if you kept it all and lived outside God's will. That's been our practice. Um, we have no regrets. It has rarely been easy. I mean, we've, we've raised four kids here. Things have, we've almost always had a little bit of month left at the end of the money, you know. Let that sink in. Okay, good. Good, good. It's happening, right? But, but that's been our practice. We have uh, some automatic payment up, and, and literally they go out the day after payday because in, in our minds, we want to give the Lord, give to the Lord first. So... That's what we do. This, I'm not going to give you a law or rule and ask you to sign a commitment card today, but that's what we've done and, uh, and have just sought to be generous as the, Lord, as the Lord leads us. So as you consider what your giving ought to be, let me warn against a couple of extremes. One is seeking the bare minimum. That is, you think, I'll give God 10% and I'll do what I want with the rest of my money. Well, that's a fundamental mistake because all of your money is God's, whether you recognize it or not. And he can be quite creative in taking it away. <clears throat> he expects you to leverage everything you are and everything you have for the kingdom. Okay, everything. Time, money, relationships, everything. It belongs to him. That is just a radical, God-centered life. And that's, that's what he wants of us. So if you're giving to God just enough so you'll feel better about living a self-centered life, 
you have a fundamental problem in your relationship with him. Okay, if you just think you're paying dues or, or getting God off your back so you can and be self-centered with that other 90%, you are dead wrong and you are on a road to spiritual and maybe financial poverty. So it just doesn't work out. The other extreme, though, is feeling like we have to give everything. Like, like Oscar Schindler at the end of Schindler's List, you know, when he was, he was trying to rescue the, his Jewish employees from, from destruction. And at the end, Liam Neeson, he's, the actor portraying Schindler, he's, he's upset and crying. You know, I could have gotten rid of this, you know, save one more life and this and this. You know, in, in light of the moment, he realized the, the value of things. And sometimes we feel like that. But I'm not sure that's really healthy either. First, it has no practical end. I mean, you can always downsize. You can always do without something else. You can always have one less latte. You can, you know, there are always sacrifices you can make. Where does it stop? The Lord doesn't intend us to live racked with guilt over things he's, he's given us. Second, it assumes God needs our money as if uh, we're at war with limited resources and only if we give will God's will be done. God doesn't need your money. How's that for fundraising? <laughs> right? He's more interested in your heart than in your bank account. I hope that's clear. Uh, third problem with this is it becomes compulsory. We'll talk about compulsory versus cheerful in a minute. But instead of giving freely and joyfully, we're, we're racked by guilt. And, and we're consumed with anxiety and unable to enjoy the gifts he gives us. We're just not meant to live like that. And then fourth, God has other purposes in giving us money. And this, this misses that. He's glorified as we enjoy his good gifts. It, it's okay. Don't have to feel guilty. Any father enjoys seeing his children enjoy gifts he gives them. So is, so is our heavenly father. He also expects us to save. That may be. His plan for providing for your needs. Uh, I know there were a lot of times when Karen and I, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd wind up with a surplus at some point and we would just look at each other and say, well, you know, what's about to happen? Sure enough, you know, car breaks down, this happens, that happens. Almost always. God gives a surplus. He provides for needs. He does expect us to save and plan. That's just wisdom. That's all over the Proverbs. We... Um, Maybe having two weddings in our family next summer. We're, uh, we're saving for that. We see that as responsible parents. That's, that's God's provision. If any of you would like to contribute, I'll be in the lobby after the service. Uh, we kind of figured these would be spaced out, and isn't God good? So that's okay. You know, that's, as responsible parents, that's what we save. Okay? And... and you know, the temptation is to look at the bank account and say, well, maybe we could back off on our giving because we've got this coming up. But we've just learned over the years, God is faithful. And, and if we back off on that, we, it, our heart becomes wed to, to money and, and not to the Lord. And so, by God's grace, I mean, we, and I'll tell you, <laughs> when we have looked at the bank account, we have looked at the, the tied line, line item in the budget, and think, maybe we should... Maybe we should back off on that. But by God's grace, we haven't. God's been good to us. It, it, it really rarely has been easy, but it's, it's been a regular part of our lives, and, and we have no regrets there. So I think maybe the answer is a balance between these two extremes, right? You, 
First, you just live within what the Father provides. So don't go into debt. Give your, your spouse and your kids for Christmas this year a debt-free spouse or parent, okay? <laughs> don't go into debt for Christmas. All right, good. Went over like a frog in a punch bowl. But let me tell you, just stay out of debt. Uh, second, just enjoy God's good gifts. It's, it's okay. Don't, don't feel guilty about what you have. You, know, you don't need to be extravagant. There's, there's, something, there's wisdom in, in simple living and that kind of thing. But it's okay to enjoy what the Lord entrusts to us. It, it, it's all His. And just give regularly. I'm not going to tell you how much, but it just needs to be a regular part of your life just to keep your heart free from love of money. And I, all joking aside, you know, I don't, don't well, I was going to say don't give us money. Yeah, don't, get, don't give me money for my kids' weddings. It's okay. So, all joke. Okay. Um, and you can trust the Spirit to guide you in terms of specific giving and, and acts of generosity. There have been times when... We've encountered a need, and, and we pray about it, and we feel like the Lord would have us meet that need, and, and we do that. And other times, we, as we pray about it, we feel like, you know, the Lord has something else for them, and, and, and we're not compelled to be the answer to that prayer. And it's, it's a weird conversation to have sometimes, but also have good conversations with people and encouraging them and trying to be obedient. It's, it's not always just written in stone or written in sky. It's not always clear. It's... Part of it is just this relationship with the Lord of walking day by day and just treasuring Christ more than we treasure our, our finances. So uh, J.D. Greer, pastor of Summit Church, North Carolina, he gives three questions that I think are helpful for us as, as you try to evaluate how much to give. Uh, one is, what does your spending show that you delight in? You look at your budget, look at your, your record of transactions. Some of your credit cards or debit cards will categorize those for you each month. So where is, what is your greatest delight? What's most important to you? I know some things are just more expensive, and that's, that's the reality. That's okay. Again, no guilt here, unless you're guilty. Um, what does your savings show that you find security? And that is, are you anxious, so anxious about saving that you are perhaps missing opportunities that, that the Lord is, is putting before you? And then third, whose kingdom are you pursuing? We are bought with a price, and truly everything that we are and have belongs to the Lord, and His desire is that we leverage all that we are and all that we have for His kingdom. So we've seen this work out in different ways with people. We have uh, friends in the U.S., a friend who they sold their home in the U.S., they bought a smaller home to have more resources to put into the kingdom. Well, that's a, that's a great example. That's, that's a, a powerful example. We have others who live in a large house, they're keeping their large house, nice house, but it is filled with guests. I mean, they always have people in and out. They, they see it, hospitality as a ministry, and they're happy to do that. And then we have other friends that we went to eat with them. We were back in the U.S., went to eat with them a few years ago, and they said, we're, you know, our kids are growing up, they're moving out, so we've, we just bought this brand new sports car. And I thought, oh, how nice. And, uh, uh, you want to know what I drive in Prague? Nothing. I ride a bus. I didn't say that. Just thought it, you know. And then they said, now that our kids are gone, we're enlarging our house. Really? We are adding this number of square feet to our house. And literally, their enlargement 
was larger than the apartment we live in. I mean, you, you're, your kids are leaving. You're enlarging your house. And you're adding more space to your house than I live in already. Yeah, I had some thoughts then too. Now, at least you could buy my lunch or something, you know. Oh. <laughs> it's funny. So, you know, I look at the kids and they're like, frozen water, everybody, frozen water, and we're sharing. It's all good. God provides. He always does. But Jesus tells us that where our treasure is, our heart will be. So you think, well, you, know, you sit here today and think, I'd, I'd love to be more interested in missions. You know what? If you give to missions, you'll be more interested in it. I, I'll... When I have more interest in, in, in this ministry or that ministry, you know what? If you donate to it, you'll, you'll suddenly find yourself really interested in it. And it may be just in terms of, of your own relationship with the Lord. It may be that generosity would free you up and, and overcome some, some hindrance in that relationship too. All right. So we can be generous because the Lord's been generous with us. Second, we can be cheerful because the Father gladly provides for us. Verse um, 7 says God loves a cheerful giver. Now, he loves people who don't give cheerfully too, okay? Just be clear, he loves all of us. But he's delighted, he's, he's pleased with cheerful giving. Now, the, the word is translated cheerful. Uh, it comes from the Greek word that we get our word hilarious from. Now, I couldn't help but watch as the bags passed this morning. It's not a lot of hilarity, right? Just didn't see any howling, didn't see any guffawing, didn't see any, you know, just outbreaks of spontaneous... Laughter as the back pass is pretty much business as usual, right? That's okay. Actually, it's, I think it's kind of dangerous to read modern meaning into to ancient words, but couldn't overlook that one. I'm not saying you're wrong to not break out in laughter every time the bag passes. I think that would be weird, honestly. But what does he mean by cheerful giving? I think he, he unpacks it in verse 7. It is first purposeful. He says there in verse 7, uh, each one should, dis- ha- should give what he has decided in his heart. That is, cheerful giving is first purposeful. That is, you have decided beforehand what you will give. You've prayed about it, you've communicated with, with spouse or whoever's involved in the decision, and, and there's just simply agreement about this. It is not um, an off-the-cuff light decision. Now, you, you know that I have felt this too, right? When a moderator gets up and says, it's time for the offering, I think, oh, I've completely completely forgot about that, as if this is the first offering we've taken in ICP's 20-plus years of experience, you know. Oh, we have an offering today, really, <laughs> like we have every Sunday for, you know, since I've been a child. So somehow I act surprised by that. And then, you know, okay, not during the prayer. Once the prayer comes, then I'm digging wallet, purse, I mean, not my purse, Karen's purse, you know. Yeah, it's just awkward. You think, oh, you know, the ushers are waiting, counters are waiting, kingdom of God grinds to a halt while I'm trying to find. That's, that's not really how it's meant to be. You know, just, you'll, you'll save yourself a bit of awkwardness just to set aside time to say, Lord, what would you have me give? And, and come to peace with the Lord about that. Um, if it helps, set a little reminder. If you have, you know, a smartphone, which many of you do, some little alarm on Saturday, just Euro sign or, you know, Kecha or something, you know, so you'll just think about it, pray about it, be at peace with it. And then cheerful giving is not reluctant. A reluctant or grudging attitude toward giving may indicate you've lost sight of, of just God's grace in your life. And, 
you're, you're feeling like you're, you know, God's going to owe you something, just not eager to do it, not joyful about it. But again, praying about it ahead of time helps. And then it's, cheerful giving is not under compulsion. It's not forced. The kind of giving that pleases the Lord is from the heart. There's no external factors that force that. There's no uh, thing that we say as we, we introduce it or pray. It is simply, but it's between you and the Lord and, and what you understand he wants you to do. Now, what this doesn't mean is, as he says, you know, give what you purpose. God loves a cheerful giver. You say, well, I mean, I have 10 crowns, but I can only be happy giving five. So I'm going to give five. That's really not what this means, okay? It is not you trying to stay happy based on selfish reasons. The grace of God frees us to be generous. That is where you pray in, in that relationship with the Lord, God leads you to give in a way that's, that's cheerful and free. And we do all this because the Lord has gladly provided for us. Luke twelve thirty two. Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock. Your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Other translations say, Your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. In Hebrews twelve two, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did he do it? For the joy set before him. There is joy in the heart of God as he provides, even for our deepest needs, even at great cost to himself. So that, that ought to be contagious. So there's joy. We can have joy as we, as we reflect on God's provision. Even thinking today as we, the things we sing even during the offering before, they, 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 they're good and they're rich. And they, you realize there's, there's joy in knowing Christ and we have much to be thankful for. There's joys we renew our confidence in Him and not in our material possessions. Because when you give, you're saying, my, my confidence for my needs being met is in the Lord. It's not in my efforts. My identity and my purpose, they're not in what I own. They're in Christ. Materialism, it'll destroy you. Okay? It'll, 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 it'll eat you up if you let it. Now, especially with the Christmas season coming on and and. You see the, the advertisements, you see credit card offers, you see things that are just, they, they promise prosperity, and they give you hope, but, but it's a false hope, and it, it's a false joy, so beware of that. I really realize I'm sounding sort of like Scrooge. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a hater of Christmas, a hater of debt, okay? Uh, I've learned the hard way on that one, too. There's joy as we reflect on how our gifts will be used to bless people and advance the gospel. The, the, the funds you give week by week, month by month to ICP, they go, they support our staff, they support the ministries of the church. All those are good and right. Things our congregation approves together. Those, those are good things. Bridge Center, uh, Drew told me at one time, there's three to 400 people a month, that, I mean a week, that, that go in and out of, of that place. That's amazing, right? I'm glad. I'm glad to know that, that the things I give go to things like that. There's joy as we present to God the fruit of our labors. Now this goes back as far as Cain and Abel, right? They both brought their offering to the Lord. The, their offerings were the result of their work, right? One was the farmer. One had, you know, one had crops. One had uh, sheep, flocks, and, and they brought their respective offerings. It's a form of worship. It, it really is. Most of us are compensated for our time spent working not with, with flocks and crops, but with money. You're paid in, you know, financially. And when you bring that, that is, in a sense, what you're giving. You're giving the fruit of your labors to the Lord. And you're saying, I thank God that I, I have what I have. 
that he has placed me where he has for his kingdom, that I am leveraging my life for him, for his kingdom. My life, my skills, my time is the Lord's. And this is just one small way of saying that. So now there's the question, how do you give cheerfully by bank transfer? Right? I mean, we get it when the bag passes. Yes, I'm happy as I drop the the money in, but it's a bank transfer. It's automatic. How can that be be happy. Well, you see it there. First, when the bag passes, thank God. Thank God that you've been able to give or that you know it's coming up or it's passed. Just thank him. This is not just a mechanical thing. Just, yeah, I did it a different way. It's okay. But also, set up notifications. That is, you get a, an email or a text that says, this, this is about to go out from your account. Don't just delete it. Don't just overlook it. Say, stop and say, and just thank God. Father, I thank you that you have provided and you've enabled me to support ICP or, or other ministries in this way. Home churches, I know we're, we, we spread things out in a lot of different ways here, and that's okay. But don't just ignore that email, but when that, that, that notification, when that comes up, t- just stop a moment and thank God. Ask him to bless and use that gift for his glory. Okay, third thing, we can be confident when we give, knowing that the Father will provide everything we need. Now, this is verses 8 to 11. God says, Paul says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Again, this is, this is the farmer who, who sows and reaps. He plants and he harvests. And the harvest has what he needs for his own life and the, the seeds for the next planting. That is, there is what he needs, and more than enough, and, and the seeds for what's next. And that, that is what we see in these verses. God gives us all that we need for any circumstance, as well as freeing us, equipping us, supplying us to give generously for his sake. It's not always financial, but he will always provide in abundance for what he expects of us. So we literally are giving from what he supplies. I love the way David expresses it in his prayer in 1 Chronicles 29. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So as David surveys the gifts that are given for the building of the temple, which Solomon will do, he says, Lord, we know we've really just dug into your pocket to give all this. (laughs) It's not like... We, we are giving for what you supply. It, it is all his, and it's, there's, a, there's a, a beauty to it. And then it says in verse 11, he says that all of this not only frees us to be generous, it increases the harvest of our righteousness. Now, this is, we shouldn't understand this to mean this somehow earns favor with God, somehow adds to what Jesus did for us, but it, what it does is make our character more like his. That is this righteous character. It's expressed both in grace toward those in need, we see that in this passage, but also in freedom from the love of money. And and here it's good to be reminded of Paul's counsel to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So you have to guard your heart against the love of money. It's It's a false hope. Paul counsels people in 1 Timothy 6, you know, if, if they are wealthy, to not become arrogant, because that's, that's very easy to do, and not to put their hope in riches, because that's a false hope. It, it's uncertain. So just guard your heart against that. And then fourthly, Paul says we can be hopeful, knowing that the Father will use our gifts for his glory. 
We see this in verses 12 to 15. Now, in most cases, the Father provides uh, for, for what he's doing through the gifts of his people. We, we take our collections week by week, month by month, and, and support the ministries of the church. But it, that's not always true. Uh, the Lord promised Paul he would go to Rome, and because Paul was a prisoner, Rome paid for that trip. You know, it's not like he took up a collection to get to Rome. It's like, I'm going to send you to Rome, and Rome's going to pay for it. It's win-win for the kingdom, right? But in most, play, most circumstances, the Lord provides for these, these things through the gifts of his people. That means he uses your gifts, my gifts, no matter how large or how small, for his glory and for his purposes. So we see this in verses 12 and 13. We just see that the needs of people were met and they were encouraged. And that led to God being thanked and glorified. Verse 12, this service you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in verses 13 and 14, he says that he sees that people who have nothing else in common are united. They recognize their love, they love in return, and God is glorified. Now think of this. You know, we said last week, John 17, Jesus' prayer for unity. This was a beautiful picture of that in practical terms. The, the Gentile church is taking, banding together to take this offering to help the suffering Jerusalem church. And so Paul says in in verse 14, in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. So it's a beautiful demonstration of, of unity in the larger body of Christ, the family of God. So there's really no better place to end this than on a note of gratitude, right? Verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He provides for us. He gives to us. He uses the gifts we give for his glory, multiplies them, repays us. He's unspeakably generous. Now to be Generous and cheerful, confident and hopeful in giving, it's only possible because of the grace of God in Christ. Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes, that we through his poverty might become rich, financially and otherwise. So I would just urge you today, if, if you're wondering what it means to know and follow Jesus, please find one of us after the service and let's talk further. There'll be people off to the side who will be happy to pray with you if you have a spiritual need. But just understand, all of this happens not, it is not natural to human nature. It only comes by the grace of God through the gospel. And knowing Christ frees us to give in this way. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. We thank you for the indescribable gift of your son for our sakes, for all that you gave for Jesus, for all that you suffered for us, that we might live and know you. Father, I ask for myself, for my friends here today, brothers and sisters, that that we would indeed just, by your grace, leverage all that we are and have for your kingdom, knowing that the bottom line is not the bottom line, that you are ultimate in all things. We love you. We thank you. Pray to be useful to you in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.